Hi, my name is Claire Vincent, and I'm the host of House Call, an Affinity Strategies podcast. Welcome to episode 17, Tackling Healthcare Burnout with Barbie Bowles. During this episode, Barbie and I talk about her company, Longevity and Wellness Inc., how burnout manifests for healthcare workers and her advice for people who work in healthcare to manage stress and advice for everybody else who is feeling burned out. First, a little bit about Barbie's background. She is a registered dietitian, certified health coach, and meditation teacher with over 22 years of experience. Barbie takes an integrative approach that's evidence-based and holistic, emphasizing nourishing foods, quality sleep, daily movement, and developing solid stress management skills. She is passionate about a mindful approach to healthy aging and executes a deep knowledge of psychology and neuroscience behind our behavior with food. Enjoy episode 17. Hi, Barbie. Welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, it is a pleasure hosting you. So let's, uh, we've got lots of really, really great stuff to talk about today. So let's go ahead and dive right in. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind maybe starting off by sharing some information with us about your company, Barbie Bowles Longevity Wellness. Yeah, sure. So I uh, have been a dietitian for over 20 years, uh, but I started my own business relatively quickly, almost right away. And it is it, it has evolved over time. It used to be just one-on-one clients, and it has become, as of about 10 years ago, about 50% one-on-one private nutrition and wellness counseling, and then about 50% corporate wellness. So corporations mm-hmm. will hire me to create programming for their employees, workshops, cooking demos, meditations, and also seeing employees one-on-one. So through that, I probably speak to about 1,600 people a year about their nutrition and wellness and then many more in the workshop setting. So it's, I really love it because I really get a lot of feedback about what people are hearing in terms of nutrition and wellness, what their concerns are, and it's just, it, it teaches me as much as I think I teach. So I just, I really love what I do. Wow. Wow. You are really touching a lot of lives every, every year. That, that is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. I feel very fortunate. Oh, wow. Um, so what is it about your company's approach, um, that is different from other health and wellness organizations? Mm -hmm. So it is, uh, and you know, I've, I've struggled with this a bit over the years, you know, trying to decide which way I want to go with this, but I have kept it just me. And so um, it is very personalized. When you hire me, you are really getting a real human being. It's not, you know, an online program or coaches that maybe only have a few months of training. This is my 20 plus years of experience and my real passion for nutrition and wellness and improving people's metabolic health, their brain health, and really honestly, their lives, because, you know, our health is sort of the, the source of everything that we are able to do in our lives. It's so important. And so really, I would say that personal attention, even when I give workshops 
to you know several thousand people, there's always Q and A, and it's a it's a it's a dialogue. They're really mm-hmm. getting a human being who has um, the information that they're looking for, and it becomes more of a conversation than a lecture. Mm-hmm. And so I, I pride myself on that because I know it really resonates with with the people who hire me. Oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. How did you become interested in the work you do as a registered dietitian and health coach? Oh, wow. Well, I have always loved food. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I was cooking when I was like nine. And uh, I think that love of food and colors and textures and flavors just kind of grew into something I was sort of mildly obsessed with. And then there's medicine in my family in various ways, doctors, nurses. Um, my father used to design medical products. So that kind of science part of it was always mm. sort of present in, in one way or another. And so ultimately, I did become very interested, not just in eating food and preparing food, but the, how nutrition impacts the body and mm-hmm. our long-term health. And so it, was, it feels like it was an overnight decision because I do remember waking up one day and saying, I'm going to go back to school to become a dietitian because this was a second career. I went back to school at 27. Um, And so, yeah. And so I I just enrolled in school and um, did it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, what was really interesting about it. Just kind of side note. um, You know, I was a fair student most of my life Uh, when I went back to school for nutrition and granted I was a little older. So there is a, you know, slightly more mature factor, but Mm-hmm. never got anything less than an A on anything wow. in, in all the years. Because but the, my point is simply I was so passionate. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I think that that goes a long way to your performance with anything. And so that was, as I started to see that happening, I was like, this is it. <laughs> this is, this wow. is what I'm meant to do. That is fantastic. What, yeah. out of curiosity, were you doing before So I went to school for communications and marketing and public relations. And so I did that for a little while and it just, it was fine. Um, It just wasn't, I definitely was not passionate about it. It was a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I kind of knew I needed to find something else, but um, you know, and I think that when people do are feeling burned out with their jobs, I think Thinking back to what you loved as a child, what you were passionate about, or young adult, what you were passionate about, what really lights you up that maybe you've forgotten about because life has gotten in the way. If you're, mm-hmm. that's kind of this piece of this burnout, you know, sometimes it's too hard, too challenging, doesn't make any sense for someone to literally change careers. But if you are in a position, if you're feeling burned out with what you're doing and you are in a position to make a change, which more and more people are doing, particularly since COVID, I think people are really reassessing mm-hmm. um, their, you know, their work life, uh, you know, thinking back to what lit you up when you were younger, when you didn't have to think so much about what makes the most money? How do I pay my bills? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and you can figure you can that can sort of be the springboard for maybe something new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, now that you own your own business, nonetheless, I think your marketing experience and communications experience certainly has come in handy, right? Oh, for sure. I, I don't I don't feel like that was time wasted. I think, you know, yeah. it was part of my journey and I certainly loved where I went to school and had a great time in college. So I really wouldn't change any of that. 
But, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I think, too, um, for me, th- there was a certain level of gro- uh, degree of growth that I had to do, kind of really understanding what do I want as opposed to what's expected of me. Yeah, um, I yeah. don't think there was any way that I was going to figure that out at 17, 18, 19. So to me, it makes sense that this would be sort of a later decision. Yeah, well... Kudos to you for for coming to that well, thank conclusion. You. I want that for everyone. I really yes. do. What a difference it makes, you know, in every area of your life, even when it's hard. I mean, I certainly have experienced work burnout, but um, even when it's hard, at least the feeling that you're you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing makes a tremendous difference. Yep, it sure does. It sure does. Affinity Strategies is a full-service nonprofit healthcare associate management and stakeholder engagement firm. They use digital-first solutions to promote transparent, efficient business practices. They partner with each client organization to maximize both staff and client expertise, experience, and relationships to meet goals. To learn more about Affinity Strategies services, the team, and the mission-driven work they have done and continue to do, visit their website at www.affinity-strategies.com. All right, Barbie. We know the pandemic has spurred a rise in the adoption of wellness programming in the workplace from a wide range of companies and organizations. What do you think organizations can do to best support the well-being of its employees? That is a really good question. Um, one that I I wish I was asked more. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because I actually speak to the employees. Um, uh-huh. So I know how they're feeling about mm-hmm. their, and of course, it's all very confidential. Um, I'm not repeating anything, but... Uh, I know how the employees actually feel about their work Mm -hmm. environment. And I know that there is a sense of discord very often in a lot of companies all over the country between the messaging and the wellness programming and the way the company culture is on the whole. In other Mm -hmm. words, there's a lot of robust, amazing wellness programming Um, talking about stress management, talking about nutrition and and getting exercise and cooking your own food and so on, but they don't allow any time (laughs) because they're scheduling meetings back to back and through the lunch hour and they're expecting people to work on weekends. And they're now since COVID, especially um, there are so many employees who are doing the work of two people without Mm. an increase in pay or or a difference in title. So I would say that first and foremost, and that's going to look different at every organization. You know, how do you go about figuring out how to be in better alignment? But one of the best ways I have found and a suggestion I made that has actually made, um, you know, a a bit of a difference in in certain um, companies, and that is to have a system of anonymous commentary from the uh, from the employees to say, you know, do you feel like we're in alignment with what with our with our wellness messaging or what would you suggest or what is your biggest complaint or what you know, how are things going for you? What is your stress level on a scale of one to 10? How could you know that the eight, 10, 12 hours that you're spending with us? How can we make that better? Uh, really open communication, not assuming, you know, what 
would be good for any given person's wellness, but actually asking, I think yeah. is really, because believe me, they've got stuff to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to ask. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, more specifically, I, I think having uh, not just the, you know, sleep and exercise and nutrition and, and stress workshops, but also having um, availability of mental health uh, resources is really important, making sure that is entirely confidential and, and employees know that. Um, perhaps peer support groups, if the company is large enough mm-hmm. and they feel that's appropriate. Just making sure you're doing um, what you what you're putting out there. What is your messaging mm-hmm. about wellness? Do you think it's important? Make sure you're in alignment with that. Yeah, yeah. Those are really great questions, and to pose the the employers that that you're working with. And I'm wondering if you have found in your own experience whether or not there are kind of best practices in terms of you know how employers can solicit that kind of feedback that you're talking about from their employees. Right. I think it depends on um, on kind of the the what's the word I'm looking for the infrastructure of of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for a fact that a lot of employees are uncomfortable doing this digitally. Yeah. Uh, so honestly, handwritten you know questionnaires and that they can drop in a box somewhere <laughs> um, yeah. is really because I, I know that people have security concerns when anything is, you know, done online. And so, and they certainly, you know, I, th- the point is to be anonymous <laughs> because yeah. people are very uncomfortable expressing these uh, concerns to maybe the people they're complaining about, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, their managers and so on. So I think whatever, whatever makes sense to that organization in terms of being able to keep it, entirely confidential. And usually that is handwritten, um, you know, just questionnaires that they can plop somewhere or even Mm -hmm. mail in so that they don't have to Mm -hmm. be doing it in the office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That you'll get the most honest results that way. Yeah. I I think that that's really important and and great, great advice. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk specifically about the burnout rate of healthcare workers. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, First, how does burnout manifest for for those who work in healthcare? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's this is. I mean, burnout for anyone, any employee, anywhere, is a serious issue. In mm-hmm. healthcare, it can trickle down to life or death issues, and that yeah. is really it is something that. Um, any organization that employs a healthcare worker really needs to take very seriously. And it manifests as obviously fatigue. I mean, just general physical, mental, and emotional fatigue, irritability, Mm -hmm. lack of interest, lack of compassion. You know, most Mm -hmm. people, I I don't know about most, actually, many people get into healthcare uh, because they are very compassionate people. They want to help people. And that those feelings start to fade and maybe start getting replaced with resentment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, compassion burnout, compassion fatigue is a a term that some people argue with. But I mean, I I think it's, I think it's kind of, um, I think it says it well, you know, Mm -hmm. because I Mm -hmm. definitely think people can burn out. I think making sure you're for the employee, making sure your compassion is not crossing over into empathy. 
empathy is obviously an amazing quality. Yeah. We want that in our personal lives and our friendships. But if you were to truly empathize with all of your patients or everyone that you come into contact with in a healthcare setting as a professional, it's exhausting. And, you know, compartmentalization is not typically a healthy quality. I mean, we see that in a lot of personality disorders. But when it comes to being a healthcare professional, I think it's something that ideally you would learn how to do because you simply can't be exposed to that much and not have it affect you on a physical, Mm -hmm. mental, and emotional level. So I think Mm -hmm. being mindful about that line between compassion and empathy and learning to compartmentalize a little bit. But, you know, obviously poor work productivity and performance. And then Mm -hmm. many people leave the workplace and move on to a different career or retire early. I mean, um, yeah, I I mean, and it has physical, you know, something I stress in my stress workshops is, uh, you know, emotional and mental stress manifests physically 100% of the time, even if Mm -hmm. we don't, even if we're not aware of it. uh, But we want to listen. I mean, it's a chemical response. It it absolutely affects us uh, physically when we're experiencing mental and emotional stress. And we want to pay attention to those little whispers the headaches, the fatigue, the trouble sleeping, maybe a rash, maybe appetite out of control or no appetite at all. Those are the whispers that stress can, um, you know, sort of be tapping us on the shoulder before it becomes something like a full-blown illness or real, um, uh, you know, to be debilitating. So we want to pay attention to that before it becomes something that's just, you know, that much more difficult to manage. Oh my goodness. Did that answer? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's um great, great explanation of 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 how it shows up, you know, not only um for for folks who work in healthcare, but really anybody in, in general. So really helpful to kind of lay that foundation for our listeners. Um my next question for you is do, do you think think that the massive burnout rates that started during the pandemic for for folks in healthcare could have been prevented? That's a really interesting question. Um, I don't think so because it was such a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we had, I'm going to use the word infrastructure again in a different yeah. way. I don't think we had what we needed to um, keep people safe and mentally, emotionally, and physically healthy employees, I mean, in a situation like that. It was just too overwhelming. Mm. Um, I'm not even sure we're prepared in in a more mild situation, but hopefully we've learned something or we're yeah. learning. It yeah. takes time to implement, you know, something really effective. But in my personal opinion, I don't think that could have been prevented, but hopefully it was a wake-up call. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's always um, important to to learn and reflect and hopefully make changes based on um, something mm-hmm. as as enormous as what we uh, have experienced the past few years. Right. In your you know in your counseling and your workshops, what advice do you have or or give folks who work in healthcare on how to actually prevent becoming burned out? Yeah. So. Again, just 
in general, like big picture, not allowing that compassion to translate into um, to empathy, to being able to compartmentalize a bit your work from your personal space. But really, I think for anyone, we know when we're starting to feel you know, fatigued or, or burned out. And that is when it's really time again, listening to these whispers, taking a step back and really assessing, you know, maybe on a weekend, carve out an entire afternoon to just breathe and mm. really assess your life on the whole. Because I have talked to many people who feel like they're extremely burned out by work. And it's not that work isn't challenging and stressful and, problematic and change needs to be made there. But oftentimes mm-hmm. when people step back and look at the big picture, it might be they're overcommitting themselves on other levels, socially, driving kids everywhere, you know, um, maybe children have travel soccer or travel dance and, you know, they're all over the place and they're not eating until 10 o'clock at night. And it's usually fast food because that's what's convenient. And then they're not sleeping well, or maybe they have Mm. relationship issues that aren't being addressed. So it's very real for everything in your life to be really manageable and wonderful and to be only burned out by work. But what I find more often than not is that there are other areas where you're struggling too. And yeah. to really address every, to pick what's the easiest to tackle, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's the first thing that I can tick off the list here and start um, just reassessing. How do I, how do I start healing this? Because then even if you could only heal one area, the work stress is going to have less of an impact on you. And then just mm. keep chipping away at the things that you can heal because not everybody can say, this is too much. I'm going to move on. Every, mm-hmm. all, I mean, we got to pay bills, right? And maybe mm-hmm. we love our job, even though we hate it. So, <laughs> it's, you know, but I think looking at that big picture is essential. Um, also, mm-hmm. are you a perfectionist? I think that mm-hmm. that is something that needs to be asked of everyone, but particularly people in, in um, you know, a healthcare employee uh, setting because, um you know, that is going to derail your best efforts of a happy life. And if yeah. you are constantly expecting, there's, there are a few things worse than perfectionism for your health, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if that's something that you struggle with, it is definitely something to address and start working on. Mm. And how does nutrition play a role in burnout, whether it's preventing it or actually kind mm-hmm. of managing through it. Right. Well, if you're not well nourished, if your cells, like on a cellular level, if you're not getting enough vitamins and minerals and hydration and protein and carbohydrate and fat, I, I mean, you're just not going to be functioning as well as you possibly could. Does nutrition mm-hmm. alone prevent burnout? Absolutely not. Does, can it heal it all by itself? No. Um, that, you know, healing burnout, preventing burnout is a multifactorial approach, and we need to be attending to all areas of our lives. I would say probably first and foremost sleep, because if you are sleep deprived, you can burn out doing nothing. (laughs) So I think that would be the place to start. But nutrition, obviously, I mean, it plays, it's how we fuel our bodies. 
And we also derive pleasure from it. And that's really important too. So making sure it's not all, you know, late night pizzas and eating a whole lot before bed. I mean, I make a very big deal about knowing, understanding the human circadian rhythm and trying to, um, trying to be in better alignment with it. It's part of the reason that shift workers have, you know, are more prone to metabolic illness, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, heart disease, and, uh, you know, intra-abdominal fat storage because mm. they're, you know, not in alignment with that circadian rhythm. It makes a huge difference. So, yeah, I mean, we want to do the best we can to make sure we're, we're well-nourished. We can't function well without it. Right. Right. And, you know, I I like that you were talking about maybe sleep being, you know, the thing you focus on first and, you know, Mm -hmm. also nutrition. And what about, you know, movement, exercise, like where does that fall in, you know, kind of the list of things that we, we all could maybe benefit from? Oh, I mean, it's absolutely crucial. Exercise is nature's most undervalued anti-anxiety and antidepressant. Um, And, you know, the point that I make about exercise is that the human body is designed to require it, not just benefit from it, but actually require it in order to function, Mm -hmm. which is why Mm -hmm. being sedentary is usually only second to perhaps smoking when it comes to disease risk. Um, and, you know, I sort of blame partly in part, um, unrealistic societal beauty standards for this kind of screw up that happened because we've placed way too much emphasis on weight, which is relatively meaningless when you consider actual health and not enough emphasis on body composition. In other words, less fat tissue, especially less visceral fat tissue and more muscle mass. Having Mm -hmm. a healthy health promoting body composition is where it's at. That's what we want to be paying attention to. Unfortunately, we've really encouraged and still today in 2023, we have doctors primarily saying go lose weight. That's not that's not helpful (laughs) and it's not necessarily healthy. So um, I wish doctors would start saying, go, go gain muscle mass. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's crucial to uh, cardiovascular exercise is actually obviously, you know, um, very important to your lungs, your blood vessels, the health of your brain, uh, providing oxygen and nutrients to, you know, throughout your body. And then uh, strength training is equally important in different ways. Glucose regulation, um, helping to prevent falls. Uh, you know, as we get older, our stability mm-hmm. and, and just so much is known about the importance of exercise. But unfortunately, we're focused more on our shape and our weight. Mm-hmm. And we should really mm-hmm. be focused more on what's underneath all that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. to answer the question, I, you know, when I talk, um, anytime I give a talk, I make a big deal out of what I call the four pillars of optimal wellness. And that is nutrition, sleep, exercise, and managing your stress. I don't think any is more important than the other. I think, Mm. you know, you need to start with what makes, start with whatever makes the most sense for you, but it's like a table with four legs. If any of them is weak, 
you're not going to be in optimal health. So nutrition is not more important than exercise. Exercise is not more important than sleep or stress management. Everything is equally important. And if that's overwhelming because everything's a hot mess, you start with wherever you think it is going to have the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. work from there. Because if you're not sleeping, you're not going to be able to go shopping and cook your own meals and, and really enjoy your food or have the energy to exercise. And you're probably mm-hmm. not going to be great at managing your stress and so on. So you start where yeah. you can, where, where it makes the most sense. Yeah. I, I, I feel like maybe, Barbie, you, you read my mind a little bit because I was actually going to ask you if if someone were to say to you, Hey, I I'm, I'm so short on time. I'm so stressed Mm -hmm. out, you know, which thing should I focus on? And, you know, you, you answered that question already saying that they're equally important, but at the same time, you know, maybe start with the thing that um, seems most manageable to you right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And most manageable and ideally would have, like I said, would have the biggest impact. Biggest impact. And that's going to be different for everybody. You know, if you're not sleeping, mm-hmm. it's probably sleep. If, stre- if you're overwhelmed by stress, working on your stress first is probably the best place to start. If um, you have no energy, ironically, and you are sleeping well, and you have no energy, probably exercise is the yeah. place to start. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, uh, to be totally honest, I know this is strange coming from a dietitian. Nutrition isn't usually the first place to start um, <laughs> because it takes longer to have an impact with nutrition. You know, uh, a good night's yes. sleep, a workout, you know, some deep breathing, that has an instant impact on mm-hmm. your physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Whereas a great meal might feel wonderful in the moment, but it takes time for, for, for optimal nutrition to really have that effect. Oh, that's really, I think, important advice. And I really love your individual approach, which I Mm -hmm. think I can see why, um, it resonates so well with the people that you work with. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, I make a very big deal, and I say this just to hopefully maybe change a few minds or, or open some eyes about this, because I think particularly in this country with all the diet books and you know health hacks and all the biohacking that goes on and all that, mm. I think what is lost and forgotten is that each person, each human being is physiologically, mentally, and emotionally unique. No yeah. one thing applies to everyone. That's why I will never write a diet book. <laughs> I think they're ridiculous. <laughs> um, because no one plan applies to even two people. And so just understanding that everything when it comes to wellness, nutrition in particular, is very nuanced. There mm-hmm. isn't one right answer. It depends on so many different things. Um, which is why I also just want to say, if you feel like you're really, really struggling, uh, it is a good idea to work with someone, either a therapist or a preventative doctor or a dietitian or, you know, a, a personal trainer. You know, if you are having a difficult time getting started on your own, working with somebody who can give that unique attention to you can make all the difference. Oh, such a great message. Such a great message. Thank you for that. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to transition to the lightning round. How do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. Awesome. Texting or talking? Mm, it depends on the person. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. A little bit I of, mean, um... if I'm just going to be honest, <laughs> it's never 100% one way or the other. Very much depends on the person. I feel like maybe you're talking a little bit about boundaries uh, in your answer <laughs> yeah. there. That's right. That's right. Aha. <laughs> uh Aha. -huh, uh -huh. All right. Favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? Um, it honestly depends on my mood. It's between New York and Los Angeles. I love them equally for different reasons. So awesome. if I'm in a certain kind of mood, I'm dreaming of LA. If I'm in another kind of mood, I'm dreaming of New York. Oh, that's great. And bi-coastal. How does it get any yeah. better than that? Right? Right. Exactly. Best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your childhood nickname. Okay, so this is a little embarrassing, depending upon how you think of it. Um, it was BJ. Okay. <laughs> My middle name is Jill. So yes. it was, and then when I got into, I want to say sixth grade, I started getting teased for it. I, I don't want to be R-rated, but yes. um, <laughs> so my parents were like, oh, let's call her Barbie. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. And I, I see Barbie has stuck. Yes. And I've never been called Barbara, although that is my legal name. I mean, people, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a 52-year-old woman. So people are like, really, Barbie? Yes. <laughs> I've never been called anything else. And so it is very much my name. Um, yeah. I'm not trying to be cute. <laughs> it would be bizarre for somebody to call me Barbara. So yes. I stick with Barbie. <laughs> I like it. I like it. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? Uh, you know what's weird? I used to be a better driver. Um, mm. I would say maybe I'm distracted. I don't know. But I, uh, if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to say a seven. I used to be like a nine and a half. But I'm going to wow. say a seven. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I mean, seven is still good, by the way. It's not, uh, I'm nine. not bad. I just know that I'm not as good as I used to be. Okay. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> nine and a half. I love that. I, well, I catch myself. Well, nobody's perfect, right? So it's got to be nine and a half. But I, I catch myself doing stupid stuff sometimes while I'm driving. And so I just know I'm not as good as I once was. All right. That makes total sense. Makes total sense. <laughs> How many cups of coffee do you drink a day? Okay. Now don't judge. I'm going I'm through a phase. <laughs> I am going through a phase. I don't know what's been going on. Maybe it's perimenopause. I'm not sure. But in the last year, it used to just be one 12 ounce cup in the morning. And okay. now it's become sort of an all day thing. So that really? is a habit I'm personally working on. Yeah, I love my iced coffee. That's actually what the ice I was putting in the glass before we started chatting. Oh, oh. Well, doesn't that impact your sleep at night if you're drinking coffee all day? You know, it hasn't so far. Well, maybe. Okay, okay, okay. It hasn't, it, it hasn't really impacted it that badly so far. It's my little vice right now. 
Okay. I know that ultimately I will be able to overcome it, but right now it's my little vice. So. All right. I, well, you can, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you can have that. You, you if that's the it's worst thing. It's good for thing, your liver. I, right. I, I, I make sense of it by saying it's really good for your liver. So. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. right. <laughs> so what, what do you think the best age is? Oh, uh, for me, a hundred percent right now. I'm 52. Uh -huh. I would say without question, I would not go back to my 20s or 30s or even 40s if you paid me. Um, I, I This is by far and away the best age. And I find, because I do a lot of work, you know, my, my main client on the, pers on the private side of my work is women 40 to 60, um, uh -huh. perimenopausal, menopausal. And I find um, a lot of women saying that, which makes me very happy. And not uh, necessarily in every way, you know, maybe we're struggling a little bit with our bodies, with how we're feeling, you know, a lot is changing physically, mm -hmm. but just mentally and emotionally, it is a very, it's a great time. It's, mm -hmm. um, you really care a lot less what other people think <laughs> and you kind of come much more easily into your authenticity, which I think is so, so much more fabulous than just having, you know, tighter skin. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think that that ties back to a comment you made earlier about perfectionism and, and how detrimental that can be to your mm -hmm. health. And if you're really leaning into, you know, your authenticity and caring less about what other people think, I can see a better balance, um, Oh, that. completely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. And here's my last uh, lightning round question for you. <clears throat> uh-huh. Is double dipping at a party ever acceptable? Absolutely not. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't come to my party if you're a double dipper. That is not okay. That is not okay. Thank you for embracing that uh, final question from me. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And I think one everyone should be asked so you know what you're dealing with. In fact, I have been asking everyone that question. <laughs> good, good. I hope no one has ever said yes. <laughs> so far, so good. So far, okay, so good. good. Yeah, that's good yeah. to know. That's good to know. So you have been uh, not only a pleasure to speak with Barbie, but just full of so much practical advice. And you know, I'm wondering as we wind down here, if you have any sort of closing thoughts or or messages for for our listeners. Well, you know, you touched on a word that is so important. Um, I think in every phase of life, in every area of life, and that is boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think it speaks to what we're, we're talking about here. Um, just being able to understanding for yourself. And I believe this is hard work. I don't, I don't think anybody comes by this naturally or easily, but knowing the difference between being unkind or, um, not treating someone fairly or not being compassionate and protecting 
your personal boundaries is something I feel like they should start teaching in third grade, (laughs) you know, um, in -hmm. a very authentic way, because I think uh, it gets a lot of us into trouble. Certainly it can lead to, it's, it's a major player in burnout. And I think that is an investment of time worth making, understanding how to erect really strong, healthy personal boundaries for yourself. That's really, really good advice. And I agree with, with that. I, you know, I, I see it a lot in the work that I do myself and it is a, it's a struggle for most people. Right. And Mm -hmm. the ram, right. And the ramifications of, of not having uh, good boundaries is, is, is really, really difficult to undo. Mm Mm-hmm. On every yeah. la- you know, in, in every facet of your life. So, yeah. 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 Great advice. Great advice. Thanks a million for your time today, Barbie. This was fantastic. Oh, thank you. It was fun. I really, it was a great way to start the day. Thank you very much. You bet. You bet. What an important discussion with Barbie about burnout, particularly in healthcare. She emphasized what a serious issue burnout is and what can happen if we don't listen to the whispers that are telling us that we are struggling with it. Barbie shared a lot of pragmatic advice on how to confront and address burnout. Particularly, we talked about how employers can best support the well-being of its employees, including implementing listening mechanisms so that employees can anonymously provide input and feedback and how they view work-life balance. In healthcare, how burnout can be addressed by ensuring you have a bright line between being compassionate and empathetic about your work and the patients served, and the steps to take to counteract burnout. Barbie suggests that while often it may feel as though our job is the central stressor, the stress is more likely coming from our personal lives, and by stepping back and assessing one's life at a macro level, we can better determine the source of the stress and address it. And finally, Barbie emphasized a really important point about addressing one's own well-being, and that is everybody is unique and no one plan is going to apply to everyone. The nuances of taking care of oneself are individual. Barbie shared that in order to holistically address your own well-being through sleep, daily movement, stress management, and nutrition, they are all equally important. However, as mentioned, one size does not fit all. And where we each start and how we address each of these pillars of well-being is unique to each of us. Barbie's advice is to choose one of the pillars that have the most impact on returning or maintaining balance, and the rest of the pillars will follow. Today's episode was written, researched, and hosted by me, Claire Vincent, with technical production provided by Derek Anderson and music from Caleb Justinger. Be sure to follow our series to stay up to date on new episodes. Share it with your friends. And if you enjoy what you are hearing, kindly give us a like. This helps us get the word out about our series. We're taking a hiatus for July and August to get some rest, relaxation, and enjoy the beautiful Midwest summer months. We'll be back in September with episode 18 sometime around the third week of the month. Thank you so much for listening to House Call and Affinity Strategies Podcast. We appreciate you so, so much. I look forward to catching up with you in just a few months. Thanks again for listening. This is Claire Vincent. Mm -hmm.